Welcome to the Embellish Podcast, where we like to talk about stories. We like to explore how embellishment makes a story better, how it allows us to connect more deeply with both the person telling the story and the subject of the story. Together, we will explore people, products, and places that have a story to tell. We'll navigate through the truths, half-truths, and outright lies and decide if truthiness even matters. Thanks for joining me here at the Embellish Podcast. While this may be the third episode, this is going to begin the actual series of things that I'm interested in talking about. So if I were to give it a clever name, I would name it something like the one where he actually talks about something fun. Um, But in reality, today's episode is going to be around second acts. The Bourbon world is filled with stories of second acts, and second acts are often confused with redemption stories or second chances. And nothing can be further from the truth. Second acts are really about a person or a brand who is taking control of their own narrative. Someone who's writing their own future. And sometimes that future looks very different from their past. Sometimes that future looks very similar to their past. Topics for today are going to include Angel's Envy and Lincoln Henderson. Also going to include the consultant Marion Eves and Old Rip Van Winkle's own Julian Van Winkle. So thank you for joining me, and I hope you enjoy what we have to talk about. If you spend any time in the bourbon world, you'll know exactly who Lincoln Henderson is. But for those of you that are the uninitiated, the new to the bourbon world, um, Lincoln Henderson is the founder of Angel's Envy Bourbon. Angel's Envy Bourbon um, is a wonderful uh, beverage that uh, a lot of people really enjoy, and it's got a really interesting backstory. Uh, But before his stint or his tenure with Angel's Envy, Lincoln Henderson had an entire career with Brown Foreman, uh, one that lasted 20, 20 plus years. And over that time, he became a master distiller. He really learned about building a brand and making something interesting to the American consumer. After a few years of retirement, it seemed as if Lincoln Henderson might have a little bit left in the tank. So he decided he was interested in beginning a new brand, a brand that would be a family brand, something that uh, he could hand on to his son and his son's son, um, a generational brand, something that is incredibly common within the bourbon world. So he decided to step forward with the idea of Angel's Envy. Now, Angel's Envy, um, in its name, is, is pretty straightforward. When a bourbon barrel ages, it loses some of its volume, and that volume is called the Angel Share. So as a sort of tongue-in-cheek commentary towards that it sounds like uh, he may have named it angel's envy um, to to illustrate that the quality of this particular bourbon is such that it is the envy of the angels they get their share but what they leave behind may be even better the mash bill for angel's envy is it was identical to the brown foreman mash bill that is used for brands that he had seen and and managed in the past uh, things like old forester and woodford reserve he didn't deviate too far from things that he knew really well But he decided to toy with the ideas of finishing bourbon in port casks. If you don't know anything about port, port is a fortified wine. And you'll find that since the inception of Angel's Envy, there's been a bevy of fortified wine finished bourbons. And then bourbons finished in a number of other barrels as well. You know, Cabernet Sauvignon and 
and the like. But he decided he was interested in in, in fleshing out a new brand. He, he begins this process, and then over a period of time, he starts to bring his son into the fold. Um, and then his son brings his other son into the fold. What he's really embodying here is that family is, a, is an essential theme to bourbon. During the waning portions of 2020, I had the opportunity to attend the Repeal Day Expo, which was... Uh, hosted by Fred Minnick, and it had a series of panels. And one of those panels had Wes Henderson from Angel's Envy, who is Lincoln Henderson's son. And he spoke about their brand and, and their connection with it. And what really interested me is that you take something that a father was incredibly passionate about, and oftentimes as children, we tend to shy away from the passions of our parents. We try to find our own identity, to develop our own interests. But what was interesting is that Wes Henderson uh, seems to have the same degree of passion that his father had. Um, you know, Lincoln was a titan in the industry, and it seems like that Wes may be doing something very, very similar. Um, building a namesake brand, building something that the world is interested in having, and, and being able to sort of carve out their own place in the bourbon world. I've often find myself wondering if the reason that they use fortified wine barrels because fortified wine goes into the wine barrel at a higher proof than wine traditionally does and so it ages at a faster clip uh, similar to how bourbon ages even faster because it goes in at a much much higher proof so does the the does the port wine move in and out of the barrel faster uh, imparting more of its own port wine to the wood itself than other wines do uh, what what true impact does it actually have Moving over to another staple within the bourbon community is that of the Van Winkle family. The Van Winkle family name is synonymous with bourbon. If we go back far enough, we'll find where they had um, a controlling interest in the Stitzelweller distillery. After the death of Julian Van Winkle I, the brand was sold off uh, under pressure from shareholders um, to another company. Over the next some odd years, Julian Van Winkle II and Julian Van Winkle III spent a good deal of time trying to buy back that Stitzelweller bourbon and resell it under the old Rip Van Winkle brand name. While toiling in that effort, Julian Van Winkle II passed away. If you've been around bourbon for more than 30 seconds, you've heard the Van Winkle name. You know the the hype that goes around the Pappy Van Winkles and the Old Brit Van Winkles. You know about secondary markets. You know about markups. Um, but what you may not know is this brand is born exclusively out of sheer willpower. You'll learn that Julian Van Winkle III toiled during the bourbon bust years to resurrect a family name. A family, man, a family name that is considered to be bourbon royalty. Tied intrinsically to the Stitzel Weller Distillery that produced probably some of the finest bourbon that'll ever have been made. And so Julian Van Winkle III toiled um, hand-bottling things, purchasing back barrel by barrel, building a reputation for having quality bourbon, while not really seeking the accolades. It wasn't until someone within the industry decided to send off the efforts of Julian's work that he gained notoriety, that he gained recognition within the bourbon world. Because he knew one thing. One thing was true was that the Stitzel Weller bourbon would eventually dry up. And so how do you recreate that? How do you recreate something that the yeast strain is dead and that you may know the mash bill, but the, the place where it's aged, the place how it's made, all of those things are no longer present? Well, you solve that problem in what might possibly be one of the most unique ways you possibly can. Um, if you get the opportunity to read 
Pappy Land by Wright Thompson, you'll be able to understand the the process that Julian Van Winkle um, decided on. And so what Julian Van Winkle did is he spent a great deal of time searching down and purchasing any remaining quantities of Stitzel Weller uh, Pappy that he could find, uh, warehousing that and continuing to be able to drink from it to figure out what the taste of Pappy is, what the taste of Old Rip Van Winkle is, what the taste of, uh, of, of the premier brand happens to be. And so by having that control taste, he's able to then potentially recreate a flavor profile. And so that's effectively what he's doing now, is, is he's no longer producing his own bourbon. Buffalo Trace is producing the bourbon for him. Um, but at least once a year, he'll head over to the, to the distillery in Frankfurt, and he'll enter a room full of tasting aficionados. And if you uh, read anything about Julian Van Winkle III, you'll find that he doesn't put a whole lot of weight on having you know, the, the best palate in the world. He really focuses on, does it taste good to him? And does it taste reminiscent of the thing that he's trying to recreate? Because whenever a tradition dies, all you can do is try to recreate it. So Julian has made it his life's effort to recreate the product that was killed off by commercialism effectively. And the final second act that I want to talk about is that of Marion Eves. Marion Eves is gaining notoriety within the bourbon community. Um, her, her rise to fame was that of becoming labeled as the first master distiller at a distillery in the state of Kentucky uh, at Castle and Key. But that wasn't the genesis of who Marion Eves was. Marion Eves rose through the ranks of Brown Foreman to become a master taster, um, helped in developing brands like Jack Daniels, Old Forster, Woodford Reserve, uh, as the master taster. Marion Eves has the legitimate credentials when it comes to the science of distillation. So over the course of her career with Brown Foreman, um, she gained relationships and she gained knowledge and she gained uh, information. So the Castle and Key experiment uh, was launched, and they approached her about becoming their master distiller. And Castle and Key is going to be a revival distillery, if I were to try to label it. It's going into the into a former. It's going into the location of a former distillery that had fallen into disrepair significantly, and the grounds of it are amazingly beautiful. During the inception and the creation of Castle and Key, Marion was given pretty much carte blanche and being able to build the brand. Before the first ounce of bourbon was ever even put in a bottle from the flavor profile that she helped create, Marion Eve separated herself from Castle and Key. Whether it's amicable or not, that remains to be seen. Uh, there's lots of articles that you can read over uh, what was going on there, but it seems in hindsight what has happened is that a company was pushing her more towards the marketing side of the product than from the distilling side. And that didn't necessarily align with what she wanted to do with her future. It takes a lot of guts to leave a brand that you helped pioneer before anyone ever even tastes the first thing that you made to, to launch into a new career. What does that new career look like? Well, that new career looks like that of a bourbon consultant. And so not only was she the first female distiller at a Kentucky distillery, um, it seems like she may be one of the first one of the first consultants in the bourbon world her knowledge and expertise was so wildly sought after that she was approached about helping build the bottling of sweeten's cove 
Sweden's Cove will nefariously get the name of a celebrity brand of bourbon, but they really shied away from using the celebrity names in the marketing of a product. Um, so she was given a series of barrels to try to blend something together and came out the other side with several blends. A lot of the bourbon world went crazy over this and thought, hey, this bourbon is you know super expensive and it's something that no one will ever be able to, to acquire. But what we don't see is we don't see a large quantity of these bottles just sitting on shelves. It appears that the price point that they had selected was appropriate for what they were trying to sell. Their marketing worked. And the thing that she built, but she wasn't done there. She wasn't done with just the simple consulting and helping blending and putting together um, brands. She launched a concept called Eve's Blind. And if you happen to hop on over to Google and type in Eve's Blind, you'll find some of the most beautiful marketing packaging that exists. What she's developed is an exclusive tasting of small batch and single barrel whiskeys that are going to help even the most novice drinkers feel as if they were crafting a brand. It is a mail service, a subscription service, where four times a year you'll be given a series of samples to taste, something for you to be able to learn about the process of making. And so not only is she innovating in the consulting world, she's actually bringing together a subscription service that allows you and I to feel like we're a part of the blending process, a part of the barrel selection process. And that's amazing. That's, that's, a, that's a new idea that I haven't seen anybody else going after. And so now we have this person who at one point in time was a master taster, had elevated themselves to a master distiller, walked away from the master distiller title um, in the interest of staying closer to the actual bourbon, consults with companies to build legitimate, brands with a high profile and then takes a step back and says I'm going to build this next level of thing the subscription service that is going to be for uh, for the people it seems to me that a, that a story arc like this something that that rises like this is is born out of a person who there's no such thing as a best product there's only different ones and it seems that She's not done there. She's not done with the Eve's Blind and the building of a brand for someone else. She's also interested in consulting with the this this exploding realm of craft bourbon and being able to help them take a good product and make it better. Being able to help them with their chemistry or with their marketing or with their branding. Um, it's, it's, it's a fantastic story. It's something that you don't see usually within the bourbon world because it's so steeped in tradition and how you should do things that this is a new look and these are the things that are super interesting to me so if you get an opportunity make sure that you try out some angels envy bourbon hop onto social media search out marion eves follow her and see what pursuits and, and what the future holds for her and if you get an opportunity buy yourself a bottle of of any of the old rip van winkle or pappy van winkle lines and uh, i know the price is pretty high and I don't want to support the secondary market, but there's lotteries everywhere and there's charities that are raffling off opportunities. So um, absolutely invest in that. But if nothing else, just seek out these brands and seek out the understanding of what it is that they're trying to do. Uh, because there's some wonderful stories and it makes for some beautiful conversation with friends whenever you sit down to have a drink. Thanks for listening to the Embellish Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you subscribe. Check out our website at embellishpod.com and follow us on social media at Instagram and Twitter to keep up with what we have going on. If you have an idea about a story we should talk about, send it to us at embellishpod at gmail.com. And remember, whether famous or infamous, a good story mixed with a touch of embellishment makes the food you ate 
the drink you drank, and the places you visited just a little more memorable. 